Happened in the 90s. Matt was the fat kid. Steve was the flat kid. Life wasn't always great. But you know what was? The 90s. Happened in the 90s. Yeah! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's Superbed Saturday at Waterbed Gallery. 11 hours only. Super selection at super savings from the super stores. Only Waterbed Gallery, Michigan's largest, could put on such an event. Super savings on all our super sleep systems. Save on Simmons Waterbed. Contemporary style. Soma Waterbeds. Even baby waterbeds. Every bed is on sale during Superbed Saturday. Only at Waterbed And I, I want to give a shout out to Jim Brown and Tina Turner. They passed away since uh, the last time we recorded. And uh, Jim Brown, more than just a... And I, and I should change my background while I'm trying to give them propers, man. Um, uh, that's probably not the best one either. But uh, what's important is that we lost Jim Brown, man. He was more than a football player, man. He, uh, he was so dominant in the 60s. And he was in his prime when he left the game. Uh, set a bunch of records, man. He, he was like, man, fuck this NFL shit. I'm gonna do some acting. Did some acting. Uh, he, he was involved in the civil rights movement. Um, there's a epic picture of him, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali, and Bill Russell. They were at the forefront as far as like star athletes, you know, standing at the line man and uh shout out to jim brown uh, and, and he did this in a time when racially it wasn't safe for us blacks at all less safe than it is now and we're still not there but uh r.i.p to that brother and tina turner man she's a legend she passed away at 83 and uh you know she was one of the first females inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame her life story was portrayed by my favorite actress, Angela Bassett. Um, I think she left this world better than how she came in. So RIP to both of them. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, man. Jim Brown, legend. One of the most dominant running backs of all. I mean, the, he's one of, he's probably the only great Brown, Cleveland Brown of all time. You really want to be honest about it. Uh, he, I mean, hands down, he's easily the greatest Brown. Um, I mean, it's There's his no, last name's Brown. No discussion. Yeah, exactly. He was born for that. So both of them legends. Rest in peace. Uh, I mean, Jim Brown also, though, it's some badass movies. You know, we got to just pay homage to that part of it, too. The dude was a legend in multiple careers. Uh, Mars Attacks, I'm Going to Get You, Sucker. Any given Sunday, which we've discussed on this show, he was fucking shitting all over Lawrence fucking Taylor in that movie like a G. So it was awesome. I don't get strokes, I give them. <laughs> Y'all some pussy ass. He just was like, I mean, honestly, I feel like in that moment he could have actually whooped Lawrence Taylor's ass. Like still. It's a good chance, man. And also he looks my uh I mean You're gonna say something about his appendage? <laughs> nah, 
I'm not gonna say nothing, Steve. I'm gonna keep it kosher over here. See, that's the thing, man. We, you do the pause thing. We both do the pause thing. But it's like, you can't do the pause thing and then go talking about somebody's dick. Like, yeah. pause. So, Steve, who, that beast from X-Men, what kind of dick do you think he has? I ain't gonna touch it. What's that? You, you think he's got a big blue baby arm hanging Don't between his side? Don't start me and to start talking about X-Men dick, Steve, because now I can't, we can't start that discussion, but that's not why we're here. I'm sorry. I'm fascinated by it. Sorry, Pause. Steve. Pause. Hey, Steve, you know Mr. Johnson, the little guy from Friday? I bet he's... <laughs> I, he's tripping. I bet he's up just. That's why he fell I, over. I bet he's just a penis with a head underneath. Pause. I hope it's loaded. You crazy? Like a human purple yeah. stick. Why Pause. do you call me out, man? Like we just got it's, back. We have had a break here, and now you're just calling me out in front of all these people. This is fucking disgusting. It's making you feel at home, man. You want me to go to Las Vegas at once? Three days. Get in. Two nights. This is my last drink. One city. We can't stop here. This is bad country. Fear and loathing in Las Vegas. The streets attitude. Rated R starts May 22nd. Hey, boys and girls, this is Steve G and Maggie with Happened in the 90s, a show where we talk about what happened in the 90s. So get out your Teddy Grahams and your Jodeci cassettes, because later on, on the drive home, I called her mom from a payphone. I said I was the cops and your husband's in jail. The state looks down on side of me. And that's about the time that bitch hung up on me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And are still more amused by prank phone calls. What the hell is call ID? My friend said I said act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? Is that a UFO? <laughs> I mean, you, are you the secret member of Blink-182, Steve? I tried out. You did? Okay. Yeah. It's too black <laughs> yeah. in, mid in midwestern <laughs> yeah well today my friends we're talking about all things june 1st in the 90s starting off in 1990 frankenhooker premieres a medical student sets out to recreate his decapitated fiance by building her a new body made of manhattan street prostitutes yes you heard that right directed by frank hennenlotter starring james lorenz patty mullen and louise lasser Actually, no, it was starring Frank Hentenlauer. Uh But uh, the description, you, you get what's advertised. You um, get Frank and, and Hooker. The, I like that. I feel like this is a cult classic, Steve. I think this is something people like, maybe even in a joking way, but people are enjoying this. Yeah, and early in the movie, the man he's engaged, him and his fiance, they're celebrating, they're having a party, and the fiance, she gets just destructed, destroyed by this lawnmower. Oh, she no. gets destroyed a by a lawnmower. Yeah, so he becomes a recluse. He's down in the dumps, he's living with his mom, and unbeknownst to his mom, I guess she never checks his room or checks the garage, he's been harvesting her body parts and what you see behind me is one of her eyes. It's ridiculous. Uh, you have to smoke copious amounts of marijuana to make it through this. 
I can um, do that though. I can do that. I'm into it's, it because it's it's one of those so bad it's good. Um, you know, there there's some joy in seeing this, and Bill Murray actually co-signed on this. He actually enjoyed this movie, man. I don't know if they paid him to say that, but <laughs> I mean. <clears throat> This does look like, this looks like a nice, like, 80s, 90s, just crazy, uh, almost like one of those trauma movies that Lloyd Kaufman makes that are just wacky, over-the-top horror movies. So, I almost feel like I've seen this in my day, but uh, Probably. anything about hookers, and, you know, put a hooker in it, I'm in, so. And the man is turning crazy, like, he's having dinner dates with her severed head. Uh, he kept all her body parts. And like I said, his mom, I, I don't know how this is getting past mom. Maybe she just thinks her little boy is just an angel. He's just sweet, but never do Like Dahmer's mom, you know? She was just like, I don't, this guy's into some shit. I don't know. He's my boy. I love him. And, and you don't get to see Frankenhooker until about an hour into the movie, man. Uh, it took this film 12 years to make. Wow. A whole decade and some change, man. I like that, that they were just like, we're finishing this. I wrote fucking Frankenhooker. We're going to finish this movie. Whoa. And yeah, so he's in his lab perfecting his craft or whatever. And he's trying to figure out like, how do I get her to like come alive? Oh, I'm going to kill prostitutes. How am I going to kill prostitutes? I am going to make friends with the local drug dealer slash pimp. And I'm gonna, you know, rub elbows in that crowd and get some crack from him. I'm gonna oh. get some crack, and I'm gonna make a super crack. So not only is he a, uh, he's just a mad scientist. He can make super crack, and that's what they call it on here, super crack. And uh, he can put bodies together. This man might be more brilliant than Matlock and and MacGyver. I was gonna, is he my hero? Cause I love the vibe he's got. And also, just speaking from experience, she looks like uh, maybe a couple of Tinder dates I went on in LA, honestly. She's got that energy. So, um, I love a nice, funny, bad horror movie, and I'm gonna check this out, Steve. And the, the hookers die from just spontaneously combusting. They smoke this super crack, and what you see behind you is one of the hookers just exploding in the hotel room. And that is cray cray in a hilarious way. Uh, um, he's having this like wild orgy party and like they're not feeling him at first, but then he shows them this big bag of super crack and they lose their minds. And like, they're the just going crazy for this. Step, just bring out a, a big bag of crack rock. Hell yeah, dude. Man, toot it up and boot it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Is that Pookie or is that fucking, looks like <laughs> one of our fucking band moms just fucking ripping a rock, Steve. You used to be the prime queen. Now you the prime fiend. <laughs> the bitches. I just love it super crack. I mean, come on super fucking crack man and like they were actually having a hard time getting the rating man they eventually cut an r-rated film to market in addition to the unrated uh one of the trims needed to secure the r was to limit the exploding prostitutes to six from the uncut versions total of seven it's like seven to take one out we can't have all these exploding prostitutes this is disgusting yeah <laughs> seven that's the magic number there was there's seven days 
Seven eight, continents. Six, we can handle it. Seven. That six. last one was wild. Take that out. Yeah. It's one too many, buddy. Um, but hey, 12 years, seven exploded prostitutes, and a lot of laughs, it sounds like, Steve. I'm in. Is this oh also God, one yes. of these movies that delivers on like a lot of like titties? Is this one of those? Steve? Oh, gratuitous titties. Okay. There's a lot of titties. And I don't know if we'll get flack for this. This is him. Uh, oh, we're going to have to blur that one, Steve. That was uh, a titty. That's, but they're I don't implants. Know. Removed from a body, though. So you can't even remo- tell, you know? Yeah. They could be cakes. You know Titty what? cakes. I'm going to just leave it in. I'm going to we'll see what happens. Let's get crazy with it. I'll see you in court on YouTube. You too, Zuckerberg. Just cause, but like it, it's gratuitous titties, and they're all beautiful. Uh, this this movie is laughable, um, but you get some treats, some very tasty treats, man. Some delicious titties nibbles. Oh baby, it's not like they couldn't even put sapphires on screen. That's a titty nibble. But you know somebody who probably never seen Frankenhooker in their life. Hmm. I don't know, Steve. Who? Probably Arnold Schwarzenegger. One, because he's Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger. And two, because his movie Total Recall came out that same day, June 1st, 1990. Legendary. Arnold Schwarzenegger must figure out what's real and what's fantasy after a memory implant goes awry in this futuristic sci-fi favorite directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rachel Takotten, Sharon Stone, Michael Ironside, and Ronnie Cox. I mean, this movie, there's a lot of um, benchmarks being set at this time and like special effects and stuff, but I do remember there was a lot of stuff in this movie that was like never before seen. It didn't look great in hindsight, but like there's a a scene where like he walks behind this wall and it's an x-ray wall. So you see his like skeleton and shit. But I remember at the time, like that was like a million dollar effect or some shit. Like they were really doing a lot of cool shit in this. It really broke ground, man. It, this was a pioneer in the CGI world, man. Because, you know, this is 1990. We're years removed from Toy Story and all the Pixar stuff. And Total Recall, they were one of the first to take a dabble in this. And uh, this movie actually precedes Terminator 2, uh, which would come out that following year, 91. Um, so Schwarzenegger, man, like after watching this uh, over the week, he's probably my favorite action star. Oh, without a doubt. I'm, I actually was, uh, I saw like the first Predator again. I was thinking of this because I saw it on the list and uh, I was watching True Lies at the hotel and I forgot how fucking badass that fucking movie is too. But uh, dude, Arnold Schwarzenegger, without a doubt, the greatest action star of any generation. Like you're never, there are no stars like this anymore, dude. Oh, I mean, he's still a star. Like they're still trying to get him out because he's that much of a fucking thing. But this is dope. Uh, speaking of titties, we get a chick with three in this. Uh, we get a guy with a like a weird twin coming out of his stomach, which always freaked me out as a kid. Uh, I forget he has a weird quado or something, something weird. Um, and also. There's just like a lot of like weird visuals. Like I remember that like when they do the Total Recall thing, like his face like gets all fucked up and shit. And it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. so him screaming is already insane looking. But yeah, they really, well, 
you know, there's a ah, lot of ah, I have a big booger. Ah. What, what's that thing at the back of the throat? It's that little like dumbbell ah, looking thing. Epiglottis. I, I, I feel like I feel like that thing is like pulsating all the time. Oh, yeah. he, I mean, does he probably that. has a workout for that too, Steve. I mean, all every muscle in this guy's body is just jacked, so that's why he talks like that. My epiglottis. It's not an Arnold movie unless he does a. But I used, about, you could see it just in these like you every screenshot you get of this looks like in a like a comic book panel or something. Like everything looks badass. Master P missed the opportunity to have an Arnold cameo. Oh, at least sample the yell, dude. Like we missed out. Make him say ah. <laughs> but like another reason why I love Schwarzenegger, man, is because like he's a real hero. Um, w one of the things I read about this is Michael Ironside, who was, he played the bad guy in this. Uh, he was constantly on the phone in between takes. And when Schwarzenegger came to him and, and checked him about it, he Ironside told him that his sister was suffering from cancer. So Arnold immediately brought Michael to his trailer and they had an hour long three way conversation with Ironside's sister uh, about what exercises she should do and what kinds of food she should be eating. And Ironside has never forgotten Schwarzenegger's kindness and neither as a sister. Like that's the kind of guy he is, man. That's what's up, dude. I, I've actually heard this like, um... Burt Kreischer, who has a movie coming out, or it's out already, it's called The Machine, but he did like something with Arnold Schwarzenegger recently that was like a cross-promotional thing, and they worked out at that Venice Beach Gold's Gym that he used to work out at, but he was saying that like seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger in public, like how he treats everybody who comes up to him and is like, oh my god, you're Arnold Schwarzenegger, like he matches the energy of his fans and like gives them the moment that every fan wants with like their movie star hero and stuff so that's even cooler that he did that uh thing for michael ironside that's i'm glad that there are fucking dope celebrities like that especially this guy it's just like a huge mountain of muscle that's just a like a teddy bear of a dude that's dope he is man a gentle giant man and uh also in 1990 mariah carey delivers her first live television performance singing vision of love on the arsenio hall show and you know at the time we didn't know how big of a deal this was uh, maybe arsenio himself he just knew the girl could sing and her first actual public television appearance not just performance but appearance and she killed it man yeah i was gonna say it wasn't her last i mean definitely wasn't her last that following year, 1991, after merging with Ha and the Comedy Channel, CTV, the comedy network, becomes Comedy Central. This is to avoid confusion with the Canadian broadcast network known as CTV. Man, I'm glad it happened because I was a huge Comedy Central watcher for most of my childhood. So uh, I got to see Kids in the Hall because of it. Weird shows like Soap and stuff like that that i would have no business uh throwback shows way all that stuff so shut yeah, up, and both stuff. versions yeah they would show the british and american whose line is it anyway uh you know before south park we had dr katz professional therapist and uh you know countless stand-up comedians that we wouldn't have even known about had it not been for comedy central man david tell 
Dane Cook. Late Night with David Tell. And they had some great shows, man. Like, they had that Tough Crowd show. They did weird shit. Tough like, Crowd. For so long. Like, and uh, for a while, it was like the one place, kind of, like, stand ups could go and have a life other than on, like, Johnny and stuff like that, you know? Win Ben Stein's money. Yeah, hell yeah. A lot of great games. The Man Show. Beat the Geeks. You know? Shout out to Comedy Central. Uh, you know who probably did not watch this shit? 1991, June 1st, Matthew? Who? Probably American singer-songwriter David Ruffin. Okay. Wow. One of the lead singers of The Temptations. Well, after completing a successful month-long tour in England, David Ruffin died on June 1st, 1991 from an accidental overdose of crack cocaine. Hmm. Uh, he had reportedly collapsed at a West Philadelphia crack house. Where he had gone with his friend Donald, and if Will Smith never left to go to Bel Air, he probably could have had an impact. He probably definitely. I mean, maybe this is some of that Frankenhooker super crack. Maybe that's he's a victim of that. But you know, he was widely regarded as one of the premier singers in the Motown era. Man, you know, even Marvin Gaye said he he might could fuck with him. Pause. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know if you ever heard this phrase being used. Ain't nobody come to see you, Otis. That sounds familiar, yeah. Is this the, okay, was there like a made-for-TV movie about the Temptations and this guy? About the Temptations. The, the guy who's a dick? He had lead singer syndrome, yes. Uh, he was he was like the Diana Ross of the Temptations. He, you know, he's like, I'm. everybody came to see me. They need to call it David Ruffin and the Temptations. And they were like, dude, fuck you. Yeah, so they kicked him out, dude. Yeah. Well, damn, that's wild, though. Just so it'd be also from the crackhead's perspective, like you just have a dead celebrity in your crack house. That's not a good look. That's no, never a good look. Problems, but that sucks. I do remember that movie, and I remember the guy who played him, and he's in a lot of movies, and he's always the angry guy. Leon. Yeah, Leon, dude. He's always that dude, but. He's a good actor. Shout out to Leon. Yeah. Thank you, Ed Bounce. Uh, in 1992, Stanley Cup final, your Pittsburgh Penguins a game. Just like Jordan, just like Drake, they went back to back. They beat the Chicago Blackhawks 6-5 for a 3-1 series win, their second consecutive. It's, a, it's becoming like almost like a broken record at this point. Maria Lemieux, we've talked about him more than the great one. And, it, and this is a decade when the great one, he was doing his thing too. But that Mario Lemieux, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> we need to just have a five minute, like obligatory Pittsburgh Penguins just segment on the show because we're constantly talking about them. Or Mario now, Lemieux, one or the other, I don't know. Now see, man, you say you don't give a fuck about hockey, but it would have been in your best benefit to be a hockey fan in the 90s as opposed to football. This would have worked in your favor. Yeah, I'd rather be rooting for this than Cordell Stewart and shit. You're right about that. I'm just saying, I might want to look for some throwbacks. Let's let's recreate a story. Like, no, man, I've been a Penguins fan my yeah, whole life. Me I and Yamir Yager used to hang out all the time back in the day. Yeah. And, you know, from doing this show, you got stories about Mario Lemieux, about why you think, like, oh, dude, no, he he beat cancer. He came back and fucking was crushing it. Bought yeah. the team. Bottom bought the line, team. he bought the team or was part of the team. Either way, 
This guy's making money off his legacy and making money off that concession money, Steve. He's getting it all. You see that? We're educating, Matt. Yeah. Masses. Educating yeah. for babies. Uh, that following year, 1993, Bell Bib DeVoe released their sophomore album, Hootie Mac. And there's not much to be said about Hootie Mac. Uh, it's the one that followed up Poison. And when you think of Bell Bib DeVoe, Poison, that's the first one you think of. Yeah. This wasn't Poison. <laughs> that's the review. That's it. This one wasn't I mean, Poison. <laughs> yeah. Hootie Mac, uh, man, you, you can't make them all, Matt. You I mean, can't. Hootie they, Mac. Can you give me a little background? Like, what's Hootie Mac, Steve? Is that a vibe? That's, that a... And see, th- th- this takes you back to the early '90s. This is a very uh, early '90s. I think it died. My maybe '95. Okay. Yeah, we can't take this into the millennium. Goodbye, <laughs> Hootie can't. Mac. Bell Biv DeVoe, you gotta hang back. You can't make it to '99, buds. Yeah, but these Somebody guys else, all, yeah. like there's like like bring me. I know, I know I'm not the fat guy, Steve. So just bring me up to speed. Who's in Belbiv DeVoe? What are they created from? What was the transformer that led to this? Well, the Bell is Ricky Bell. The Biv is Michael Bivens. Mm-hmm. DeVoe is Ronnie DeVoe from New Edition. Now, yeah. New Edition, they to a lot of people one of the greatest boy bands ever they had their fame in the 80s uh the breakout star would eventually be bobby brown he kind of has some david ruffin-ish ways but in in all fairness he's my favorite of new edition bobby he started doing his thing breakout solo success the other guys were like well shit we gotta find a replacement they bring in johnny gill they put out another new edition album but at the same time people are having like side conversations ronnie ricky michael they're like hey man we kind of got a vibe like let's like we want to do some hip-hop shit more like less r&b but mix it and like that's what bell biv devoe became they they had like a hip-hop vibe um kind of like how jodeci with their appeal was when they first came out they're like the r&b singers with like you know might drop a, a 16 from here like yeah but i don't i don't think they were dropping 16 they were dropping fours and eights maybe <laughs> um, so here we are, Bell Bib DeVoe, and, and when they dropped Poison, that shit did numbers. Um, classic 90s tune. Uh, they even made an appearance on Fresh Prince. One of my favorites, man. Um, but Hootie Mac, it's none of that, man. Poison, you are not. Um, and somebody who probably didn't listen to Hootie Mac or appreciate it because I think he's that cool is probably Phoenix Suns guard Dan Marley because Thunder Dan was sinking eight three-pointers during the Suns' 120-114 to win over Seattle in Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals. Eight three-pointers, Steve. Eight. I mean, when did this get beaten? Because, I mean, how the fuck? I'm sure one of those pinko Splash Brothers broke it by now, man. But, yeah. But that Dan Marley, dude, Dan Marley, just going out there, looking like one of the Hardy Boys, uh, just killing it, you know, as a white dude in the NBA. Former Cleveland Cavalier, and just Thunder Dan is one of my favorite nicknames in all of sports, man. It, it's simple, but effective. Yeah. And this guy's a Thunder bad, Dan. So many Dan Marley cards for so long, I didn't know how to say his name. But once I did, I didn't forget because you got to put some respect on that. So, uh, unfortunately for Danny, Danny Thunder, 
they would face Michael and them Bulls. Them Bulls in the 90s, they would beat the Sonics and face Mike. And uh, you face Mike in the finals. We know how that story goes. Still love you, Danny. You did Thunder. your best. That following year, 1994, the Dinosaurs are airing their season four premiere, Monster Under the Bed. Earl lets the baby stay up to watch a monster movie, and then he can't sleep and won't let Fran or Earl sleep because of a monster under the bed. Fran and Earl retreat to a motel to sleep and let the kids babysit, and Charlene and Robbie find out he wasn't imagining things. Yeah, Dinosaurs, first time we're talking about it. Uh, one of the weirdest ideas for a show but to me I, I the way they pulled this off like if you explain it to me or put it on paper i'd be like this is stupid as fuck but henson's uh, there's a henson involved there's some puppetry going on uh and it's basically just like roseanne if it was dinosaurs in a way you know and, and henson was actually working on this for years the concept the look and everything he had collaborators and the the show premiered a year after his death and uh the networks were playing hardball with him and it, it wasn't until the success of the simpsons that they eventually relented and were like you know what maybe children's programming could fit or children like programming could fit in prime time um so here we are dinosaurs and one of the i mean we may not ever talk about the end but like one of the most dark endings to a show ever like the ending of this sitcom is one of the most weirdest like unexpectedly like depressing and dark things i've ever watched so uh they were going for it and i always love this i mean this actually did get big like the not the mama catchphrase uh, the baby blew up you know so they did the baby was the breakout star yeah and, and they had uh was it george jefferson uh Sh sherman hemsley he played the boss he was the voice of the boss they had different uh cameo voice acting yeah mckeon michael mckeon's in this too um one of the co-workers okay. i believe yeah he's sorry i think he does multiple voices in this but i always liked this show and they always had like you know they'll cut away to like a news broadcast or something and there's always just like funny little side things that they'll throw in or a funny name like i think the newscaster's name is like howard hand up me or something like that yeah so yeah i always dug this as a kid man this episode too very funny it's it's like a very they they got they figured out a good thing and uh I mean, we're four seasons in, so clearly they were doing something right. Yeah, man. And I think the death knell was the expense of producing the show because at the time, those animatronics, I guess that was running up the tab, man. And so, like, that made things sparse because even in this last season, man, the episodes are spread apart. And the actual final episode was is a random day when, like, most around the time most shows are starting, man. But uh, we start this episode off and they're watching some mad scientist monster movie and fran is telling earl the baby shouldn't be watching this earl explains that it's not really a, a horror movie as much as so as a, as a documentary science i mean we're trying to science. educate this kid so this is the vibe of my mom and dad just like still like because this would happen to me this kid's gonna get nightmares this kid's a little twerp so uh but earl he's the dad he's like this is like the sitcom tropes dumb dad 
wife, I guess, too hot for the dad, bumbling father, the, the teenage twerpy kids, and then a baby that won't shut the fuck up. So <clears throat> they're watching this, and I like this horror movie, Steve. It's like basically Attack of the Killer's Tomatoes, but it's a giant, like a squash, possibly. Yeah, they're watching 50-foot vegetable theater. Yeah. And uh, I want to watch a scary movie. <laughs> But they, they take uh, baby up. Fran's like, this is, don't do this. So they take the baby up. Uh, Earl and I think Robbie is the name of the son. They're, they're enthralled with this shit. And uh, Fran takes the baby up to bed, puts it away. And, you know, like any baby, he's like freaking out now. I remember these moments when you'd watch a movie, you'd be put to bed and like your room suddenly became fraught with con- like dangers everywhere because you thought like some monster was under your bed, which is exactly but what you. It happens here basically but you wanted to watch that freddy movie i know i did like oh, you get those warnings like no you you shouldn't be watching this like no i want to watch freddy lo and behold still scared exorcist dude that was mine i for some reason somebody let an eight-year-old me and a couple other people kids watch that and it traumatized the shit out of me so um the 90 foot squash whatever it is Baby's in his, he's worried. Um, he's yelling. He's telling his parents, there's a monster under the bed. So they come running and they're like, of course, they're like, no, shut the, no, there's no monster. Just, you know, we're going to stay up with you. We're going to chill with you. Everything will be fine. And they do that. They stay up all night. Uh, the baby finally goes to sleep, but it's like 8 a.m. And now the day's got to start. So they're exhausted. And, um, he's, you know, I think even Earl's like, we can't keep doing this. And Fran's like, it's only going to be a day, but a day is not, it is not only a day, Steve. It keeps going and going. Yeah, they keep falling asleep on the kitchen table. And eventually they figure an idea that just go to a hotel. Let's go to a hotel, at least for one night, have Robbie and Charlene babysit. So they get the kids to do that. And not too long after they leave, the baby again calls for mama. And Charlene, she goes, comes in and she tells the baby that, hey, you're tripping. You watched a bad movie. None of that stuff is real. And yeah, and he has her, the baby has her look under the bed and she looks under the bed and she gets dragged under. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And we don't know what happened. I mean, she might be dead, Steve, but Robbie has no fucking idea. He's down trying to make some pizzas. And my fat ass thinks these pizzas look delicious sidetrack sally i wanted some uh but baby's crying again and like this is the thing it's like a boy cried wolf syndrome they're like this kid won't shut up so robbie's like just deal with it cheyenne will deal with it and then he finally goes up there uh cheyenne's gone um he and also i like the vibe like he just shows up with like a vacuum because he's trying to placate a little baby so he's like i'll take care of it let me suck the monster out from under the bed but they not the vacuum yeah they move his crib and lo and behold steve there ain't a monster there but uh there's a big ass hole uh clearly some shenanigans are going on here so it's a purple portal and it's not to see prince (laughs) yeah yeah shit's crazy and we hear cheyenne screaming down there um and you know say what you want but baby and robbie they go they immediately go down like they pause go into the hole pause Um, Uh, some some big brother he is man you you take your baby literal baby 
down to this like weird hole under your bedroom. I didn't know that we ever saw the baby move other than when he's like moving around sitting. Like here we see he's crawling around. Um, and you know, son of a bitch, Steve, there is a monster under this kid's bed. Um, clearly because we get down to that, the bottom of that hole and there's like a little layer in here. Cheyenne's like in like a metal cage contraption. This is like some like Marilyn Manson. This is like his bedroom, basically. Like Charlene. Char. Okay, my bad. Charlene. <laughs> my bad. Charlene's yeah. in a cage. Um, and she's, there's no monster there though. So, you know, I don't know what this guy's vibe is, but he's clearly not worrying about some shit. Yeah, man. And like the way she's describing the person is like, you would think it's like some huge ogreish. Yeah, I don't know. Like, oh my God, he has big claws and he's got big teeth. And then he shows up and it's just like some fat ass. It looks like an old grandpa thing. It looks like it's the like germ so from the Mucinex commercials. <laughs> it looks like Rocco had a turtle friend. Remember Rocco's Modern Life? It looks like that if he was like in garbage for a couple of decades. Bil yeah. Bilbert? Hell yeah. And he's not, basically, he's not really like, he's not like, he has no teeth. He's got no claws. He's just surly and old, Steve. He's a grumpy He's been that dinosaur meth. Yeah, he, he's missing his sides and his fronts. <laughs> he's, he's... That super crack killed me. No, he's, he just is pissed off, Steve. So, you know, they've left these kids in charge. Everything's gone to shit. Robbie gets captured. I don't know really exactly how, but he gets captured. Well, well yeah, you, you don't take a person with low center gravity for granted. Uh, that's that's what he said. And what was funny was he, he was just like trying to like fawn him off like he was a dog. Like he get, he has a slice of pizza. He's like, hey, here, boy, here, here. And like the next scene, they cut to him and they're all three of them are in the cage. I love it. Yeah, so now um, this guy, he wants to eat the kids. So that's kind of scary. That's not cool. But well, we some never find out that this guy is basically just surly because he's like, you fucking people moved on top of my cave. You moved your house here. I got to listen to all this bullshit. Your dad's taking monster shits that are just falling into my cave here. I'm just trying to have some ladies over and have a good time. But I can't. So now I'm going to eat you. Which seems a little, like, extreme. Like, maybe you just go up and knock on the door and bring this up. But... Yeah. It's hard to bring a lady over. I'm hearing your heavy-ass father's thrust every Friday night. And, like, I think this is about gentrification. I think that's what they're trying to touch on here. Well, maybe. But in this case, we got some kids that are about to get eaten by some old surly monster thing. Um, and finally, now that they're every, you know, everything's gone to shit and we see Fran and Earl come back and they, nobody's answering the phone. So like some worried parents, they have to come figure out what's going on. They get home. Earl just sees the pizza, which I get Steve, cause it does look delicious. I'm hungry as fuck right now. And I'd love me a slice of that pizza. So he's like, go check on the kids. I'm going to just handle this. Cause I see two pizzas here that are just fully loaded so i'm gonna go ahead and go to town fran goes upstairs sees the big purple anus to hell or whatever's under the the baby crib and this is the only the thing I anus? Say, steve you guys they, they this is a house you guys move this house to the spot and you didn't notice in this whole time that under your baby's crib was a giant purple anus to some other dimension you didn't notice that is that a blind spot 
like was a like yeah what's the explanation behind that um the architects like yeah y'all probably shouldn't be working after that one yeah um somebody did a design that's a design fail but regardless we the parents are on it now and who else is on it now steve is whoever whatever town this is find us because the cops are on it we got some cops in the mix now because they called the cops yeah and this shit is even going to make it to tv the dnn special report monster under the bed with howard hand up me and i don't know if you clock this one of the cops on this episode is voiced by jeff taylor tim taylor's older brother played by tom sharp uh, and he's one of those guys where you, you might not recognize him uh visually but he had one of those voices in the 90s I love that he was in on that action on uh, Al Borland's underwear at the wedding, and he's in on this action, Steve. So, shout out to Tim's brother. I believe he's one of the cops, and the cops, you know, there's panic. There's kids missing. There's a hole in the ground. They know there's a monster. Um, so, people are trying to figure out what's going on, what to do. I feel like the some the TV's involved. They're doing like a hostage situation vibe. But finally, their cops are like, you know what we should do is just call the guy. Which I love that. I mean, it's just like, you hadn't thought of that yet, but they think of that. And, and he knows. He, he's aware of his local celebrity that was instant. Like, because he answers the phone as, hey, monster under the bed. I mean, it's, at this point, he's an LLC, Steve, but... Uh, the cops go full good cop, bad cop to the point where there's no real negotiation it just gets crazy and then the monster just is like you know what i'm gonna eat these fucking kids bye um Man, and fuck he, your starts, kids. he starts fuck chopping the shit i'm just the bro i'm just throwing it all in the pot we're getting this uh, you know speed this up but i'm gonna marinate that baby with carrots yeah and everything comes to a scre screeching halt steve in the world when this magical commercial comes on with the, just the perfect jingle and it stops everyone dead and everyone in mass just starts singing this jingle steve was it written by uncle jesse and joey because it's a hit yeah it's ripperific man it's, it's cocoa fluff cotton candy damn son where'd you find that and that's what but, i mean <laughs> that's what when I he's trying to what was funny was when the cop was trying to negotiate with the dude and he was like you ever share hot cocoa with your dad and he's like, yeah, that brings back memories. It's like you understand. And then the cops was like, unleash those kids, you lousy son of a bitch. <laughs> Stop fucking around. Fuck the bullshit. <coughs> but as Fuck this, your dad. Like, in this moment of clarity that this song brings, Robbie's like, you know what? Can we figure something out? Like, maybe can we move the house? You know, like, it's always the easiest answer. And that's exactly what happened, Steve. Uh, instead of eating kids, they just move the house a couple feet and we're good to go. I don't know why, but that's all it takes. Simple solutions, man. Like, you know, he was just doing his crosswords, like he said, and all of a sudden he had concrete poured over his head. How dare you? By the way, I used to watch you and your wife make every morning, so I know doesn't mean I liked it. I, I had to. Earl, you have some issues. You got some polyps. Get them taken care of. 
you know, man, that's a black dinosaur, man. That's what this is about. Like, they're trying to tell a story, man. Like, they, they built the neighborhood on top of his grandma's house. He grew up in that house. Don't try to, like, phase him out. I, I, I ride with dude, you, black. I mean, you, I agree, Steve. They fucked this guy over. But my thing is, like, in the in this real estate market, in this dinosaur age, like, you're not checking the property. Somebody, there was due diligence not done there. So... That's somebody's failure on the real estate agency's side, and I, you know, I'm speaking up for the uh, Sinclairs, Steve. They didn't know. That wasn't their fault. And Yeah, he could have took them to court, man. He spared them in different ways. Yeah, shit. I mean, he could have eaten the kids. This is this is prehistoric shit. I mean, that ain't even a crime there. He's just having a, a dinner and a meal, or a, a show, you know, so... I don't know. It does speak to the gentrification, Steve, but I don't know if the Henson and ABC were going in that deep on it. I don't know. I'd be interested to talk to the writers, though. I mean, it did happen when the man was in his grave, uh, but also in 1994, The Critic is airing the episode Every Doris Has Her Day, Season 1, Episode 7. Jay becomes friends with Doris, the makeup lady, and eventually comes to believe that she is his birth mother. Love. This is the John Lovitz vehicle that works, and I love, and it's the only John Lovitz vehicle that it works, and I love, Steve. Um, it has to be loathing for Lovitz to be working in it. Yeah, I mean, either he's got to be, like, in it for five seconds, or it's this. And this episode specifically, like, of all the critic episodes, this is one I remember the most, just because it's kind of like, I don't know, like, this is, like, heartfelt in a way that I find weird. I like it, though. Yeah, because he's an orphan and she's old, you know, so they don't really have family, or the family that she had is probably dead or close to it, and, you know, he, he was adopted. And Doris is the, she's the surly, we get another surly character here. She loves her cigarettes and she loves fucking with Jay. Um, but in the beginning, Steve, we also get a 90s call out for Howard Stern when Jay reviews Howard Stern's End, which looks like a winner to me, honestly. Any of you, any of you girls want to take your bra? <laughs> you, girls, you girls always say, but never do. You never put out. You're like my wife. You know what I do to you? You know what I do to you right now? So Howard Stern's end is not gonna win any awards. Um, but uh, Jay has on somebody who, el like a star of it, Sir Roger something, who's like a thespian. And he has this guy on to interview him. And his interview question is, why in the hell did you do this? Which I love. <laughs> He's holding their feet to the fire, <laughs> Steve. So I love that. Yeah, as he should. And backstage, uh, the guy, he offers him tickets to his uh, retelling of Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's called Hunch. Yeah. And so Jay, he's like, hold on, I have to have a conversation with my assistant. He goes into the other room and just starts having a false, like a fake conversation. He's <laughs> like, oh, you should take out that Sharon Stone. She's available. <laughs> oh, I'll see what I can do if she fits my schedule. And he goes in there and it's just Jay. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, but he, he has the door open at a certain point so he's like trying to hide it and then it's like a whole mrs doubtfire thing basically he's like i would like you should ask that hottie out she loves you nah that's okay that's all right i would like for you to meet ethel but she just jumped out of the window oh man uh so now he, he's got the ticket steve so he has to find a date 
And this I, I love because uh, we get a couple funny jokes. The first thing he thinks is to find a date is to call the girl that he just went out on a date for. So he calls her and the roommate's like, uh, she's still in the shower. So then she's like scrubbing herself like Cher and Silkwood. Just like, unclean, unclean. Get the dirty off of me. <laughs> it's been three days since we dated. Um, and then he goes to a health club, you know, because you can pick up some hot babes there, but he's in the jacuzzi bubbling away. But then we come to, they're like, wait, is that plugged in? And it's not. And he's just farting in the fucking tub, Steve. Not a good look. Yeah, he's running the girls away from him, man. So he throws a special episode on his show, uh, Win a Dream Date with Jay. And the question was, who was Steven Spielberg's extraterrestrial? And he says, like, this is for girls, for girls. His first caller is a guy, <laughs> Richard Dreyfus. His only caller, honestly. Yeah, his only. So he has no option. So, you know what? He's like, you know what, Doris? Let me take you out. So he takes his uh, hairdresser out. Uh, and, you know, that's really the last, it's like taking your mom. You know, it's really... He says that. You're <laughs> old enough to be my mother, so you're fat enough to be my car. <laughs> Doris comes. Uh, she looks like she's going to prom as an old woman. But they go into this show, Steve, and first of all, this is the experience of going to see. I, I actually, me and Kendra, I think I've told this on this show before, but we went to see a theater production in LA because Kelsey Grammer was the star of it. But we didn't know what it was about, and it was stage theater. So invariably when you go to this, if you're a normal person, you're looking at your watch the whole time, and you're trying to figure out ways to shit on what you're watching because it's awful to watch. So that's what happens here, and this is like a friendship burgeoning. They're sitting here watching it, and uh, Doris throws the first jab, and she's just like, I shave for this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think J what Jay's like, I've got a hunch. This bites. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, a bell comes down. They have like a prop coming from stage that like rings his head. He's like, Daddy, can I wear the jammies with the feet? And finally, after looking at their watches over and over again, the show ends, but not before Toyota gets like a nice product placement, which I love too. Like that's inevitably what's going to happen in theater is, you know, Shakespeare's going to be like, there's nothing like this delicious Pepsi when I'm trying to find my Juliet, you know, something like that. It's something cheesy like that, but they end the night, they end the show, they shit all over it. And then Jay and uh, Doris just, they basically like start going on a date, which is weird. Yeah, he, he, she invites him in to her apartment. And uh, I don't know why like he did this, but it looked like when her back was turned, he was gonna like hit her. Well, it's because she's living, they're in New York City. She's living in like a huge palatial apartment. She says it's rent controlled and it's only $120 a month. And as she finds out how much it is, he's about to brain her. And she's like, you're not okay. going to steal my apartment from me. So that's why. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, 120 bucks, Steve. I mean, I might brain the bitch too, honestly, for that kind of real estate. You're going to be a millionaire. You were going to bash in my head and take over my apartment, weren't you? <laughs> 
but this starts like a quick friendship between the two of them and they like bond and they start hanging out more really i mean they you know they find out that they're friends they hang out at her apartment that night and funnily enough the next morning jay wakes up like almost thinking that he's like had some sex because he's like who's the lucky lady because he wakes up in a strange bed but then he sees doris and he's like oh jesus <laughs> oh no uh but i don't get that steve like did he think that he was drugged and somehow like blacked out because he seemed pretty cognizant the whole night man his line of reasoning and thought process is fuck mary keel man good old jay sherman would you do it steve doris Doris, man, she got to keep those those false fronts in. She got you gonna as long as those don't pop out, we're good. (laughs) I mean, that apartment alone, Steve, you're living the good life. So, um, after that, you know, I think actually Jay even leaves the apartment and thinks like for a while that they have fucked, but then they get back to work. He sees Doris and he's acting all weird and she's like, wait, you think we had sex? Like, I would never even, I would not have sex with you. You're disgusting or something of that nature. So he's like, whoa, thank God. Um, and then this starts like the montage. Like now they go to Central Park and they're like in a boat. They're in like singing with each other and stuff. And this is where I'm like, is he trying to fuck or are they just friends? Because this seems kind of buddies. Are you that desperate? Because you're hanging out with like an 80-year-old woman or whatever. She she might be 100 for all I know. She's the Highlander, Steve. Cigarettes. And, that's the key. And, and how do we get to him checking his like lineage? Because I don't know. I, the source I watched this from, it, it seemed like it was jumping. I might have oh, missed okay. it. Well, in this, like they start hanging out a bunch. And through that, like one of the last days... Um, they doris reveals that she a long time ago gave up a son and jay's like that's crazy Mm, i'm adopted and she's like the timing sort of adds up and jay's like i think you're my mom so they first go to an orphanage and they're like the orphanage jay came from and this like priest is like you get three questions i can't tell you who it is but you get three questions and jay's like fucks the bag up on that um yeah And then they do a blood test and as they do that and then they go to work again so jay's sitting with doris getting his hair done the boss which i can't remember that guy's name the boss comes in and uh he wants jay to give this great review for this movie he's doing with arnold schwarzenegger that's getting painted it's a dirty dozen remake yeah it's like the expendables before that happened and he it's not doing well he needs a good review and Jay, like, he's like, obviously, he wants his uh, credibility not to be tarnished. So he's like, no. And I think Doris, like, st- stands up for him. And in the process, the boss is like, oh, yeah, fuck you. You're fired. And Jay agrees if Doris can keep her job, that he'll give this movie a good review. And as this is happening, they also find out, just through the blood test, that they're not related. So... Um, Jay basically just tells her, he's like, you know what? Most people don't get to pick who their mom and dad is, but I'm going to say she's his spiritual mother, you know, she's his godmother basically. And that's how the, the episode ends. 
they they ride bikes yeah. in Central Park until Jay runs into a carriage and gets ejected from his seat. <laughs> um, but we all need like an old salty lady like in our life, Steve. I'm realizing that you gotta have a surly old person to give you some perspective on what you could be living, and you know, brighten your life a little bit by comparison. So to the wise for all you youngins out there they are the voice of the voiceless shout out to b arthur somebody who probably didn't watch this episode of the critic on june 1st 1994 though matt is probably indiana guard reggie miller because he was drilling a record of five three-pointers in the fourth quarter of the pacers 93 to 86 win over the host new york knicks in game five of the eastern conference finals is this the infamous one where he made like he scored like 10 points in like 0.5 seconds or whatever yeah buckets after buckets and you know this is when he was getting at spike lee you know spike lee this is around the time he was like constantly up front row at madison square garden so him and reggie they would have a back and forth and this is the series that started I also, I, I was not as somebody who appreciated Reggie Miller enough as a kid because we had so, like, Michael. So, like, he was my go-to. But, like, the fact that he was, like, crushing it, I didn't realize at the time that Reggie Miller was such a vibrant shit talker as well. Like, yeah. I appreciate shit like this, like what you see behind you. Him fucking with fans and, like, annihilating a team and just like on their home court yeah and living in the moment like that i love that shit like when to did that shit i i know you don't like it but like the dallas star shit yeah all that i respect it exactly and that's this guy's a legend and he was that good i mean if there's anybody that's sort of got really screwed there's a lot of basketball players that came up along like michael jordan he's one of them because i mean this guy was you wanted that fucking just nasty jump shots Steve. you couldn't miss and he had to be tough man playing against mike they were in the same division indiana and chicago and uh, you know around this time he when he got drafted the bad boys were forming so he had to face detroit four times a year and he had to just be in indiana for a lot of his life which is not his really fun you know his whole career like you in nba you're not going to get a reggie miller in Hell this no. day and age, man, like he played his whole career in Indiana. And also, just speaking on the uh, DNA family, I mean, his sister will body you up on the court too. So the whole, t- like, the whole family is just just living athletic greatness. And uh, also, Reggie Miller, really good at broadcasting too. I love like hearing him talk about basketball and shit. Man knows it. Somebody else who could hoop was that Billy Hull. Billy Ho, played by Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson was arrested in Lee County, Kentucky, after he symbolically planted four hemp seeds to challenge the state law, which did not distinguish between industrial hemp and marijuana in 1996. And I've always respected Woody because of his activism for pot. So shout out to the dude for just being wholeheartedly into legalization. He lived it all. He unabashedly was smoking the shit and telling people about it before a lot of people were. So um, yeah. I love that. Because the, uh, we had a lot of boomers still in office in the Senate and all of that who were from that reefer madness era who thought, oh, smoke the reefers and you start microwaving cats. Like, no, that is just a crazy motherfucker who was going to do that shit regardless. Um, 
but Woody, man, you know, he used his celebrity and his platform to speak out against the shit. Like, no, you're stupid. Weed is actually awesome. Yeah. Woody, Willie, Snoop, Chicha Chong, McConaughey. And those are those those are my Mount Rushmore potheads. And there's many more. But those That's are a lot of heads, heads but yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> but um, Woody, just to me, what I liked about him also is that he was like a very high profile actor. Like I, like Willie Nelson, it's like nobody's going to say shit to that guy. He's a legend. He's a singer. Yeah. People like rock stars are supposed to be wild anyway. But like he was in movies and shit. And I feel like at this time, like when he was doing things like this, like this almost can't could have fucked his career up which is weird to say because now weed's nothing it's, it's everybody yeah. smokes weed so um just shout out to woody dudes annihilating it part of so many great 90s movies and uh i also like just like planting some hemp seeds because i like getting fucked with for doing something that means nothing like you can't even get high off the shit cops wise up yeah who should find my dress He's gonna get he's gonna get those uh, pot plants some water when they're thirsty, Steve, because that's what he does. That's the kind of guy he is. So. And also serve serve you some ales in Boston. Uh, but in 1997, Freakazoid is airing their series finale, and the series chronicles the adventures of the title character Freakazoid, a crazy teenage superhero who fights crime in Washington D.C. It also featured many episodes with the adventures of other bizarre superheroes. Um, like I, I know we've talked about this briefly in passing it, neither of us cared for it when it aired but i guarantee you matt if we both watch this now we would appreciate it because it is produced by steven spielberg the animation is the same as uh, pinky and the brain tiny tune adventures animaniacs it's i think this came at a time when we were starting to like go into our pre-adolescent days and these kind of cartoons weren't popping like you know those other ones they came when we were still kids and i, I feel like it was just the time thing yeah and I, it's weird because we grew up with like shows like the simpsons and like then cartoons like adult cartoons started to become more popularized like when we were in high school because i mean we watched family guy i remember i was actually talking about this funnily enough just sidetracking we drove past your grandma's old house on echo junction and i was like i remember watching family guy for like the first time with steve in the living room of that house whenever that wow. was but i definitely remember doing that there and then you know we grew up with cartoons uh is why i'm saying this and uh i don't know there was like a weird cutoff when we were growing up or at least for me personally where i was like i can't watch cartoons anymore i gotta watch like cool stuff cartoons are yeah cool. but they were and then like in my 20s that's basically just all i watch high as fuck on a couch you know so it's a cycle and i i think like you know it's kind of like futurama didn't appreciate it at the time didn't care to just didn't have time we already invested in simpsons and we already stopped watching that but um i think freakazoid is available on one of the streams man and i'm gonna check that out well i will say that's a great sales pitch though because the one thing i did not know about that that and probably you did say this when we brought it up previously is it's a steven spielberg joint so if you put that there i'm gonna check yeah. it out even you know hopefully it's good but like definitely that'll bring me to the party so maybe i will we'll tbd on that 
and why I think we're both that that's one of the reasons, but I, I think we'll appreciate it is because they're pop cultural savvy. Like his other cartoons that we did watch, uh, Tiny Toons, and they would make like pop cultural references from time to time. And I'm sure they do that on Freakazoid. I like I love when cartoons do that. Hell yeah, dude. Well, I'm in. Uh, but somebody who probably never watched Freakazoid, especially on this day on June 1st, 1997, is probably LA Dodger Wilton Guerrero because he was swinging the bat, Matt. The bat broke and it revealed a core. I always wondered about this shit when you heard about it. Like, what does that do? I know, what is the mechanic? What is the scientifics on that? Does that just make you hit it further, I guess? I mean, it has to. Like, I don't think they're doing it for the corking dude who fucking yeah. who's, who corks a bat who's the cork guy you know yeah. is it some who's the culprit ball? right <laughs> there's some guy like in a some lab someplace like yeah hold on one second <laughs> some guy works some some like greasy like guido dude in the underworld like that's his thing doesn't sell drugs doesn't pimp hoes he just corks bats and he has top of the line state of the art cork bats. He'll anything. Louisville Slugger, he'll cork anything. He'll cork one of those off brand Walmart bats if you want him to. He's sick. Your kids still playing in that tournament this summer? <laughs> yeah, man. We'll have him on TV, man. He'll be hitting him out of Fenway. You think your heroes don't? You think Babe Ruth didn't have a cork in his bat? <laughs> you stupid fuck. He bought from my great grandfather. <laughs> so what was the like? What is what happens when you get caught, Steve? What, you, what get, is, you get suspended. You owe a shit ton of money. And Wilton Guerrero, he, he's the brother of more popular Vladimir, uh, Vladdy. I've heard his son is actually yeah. He's he's his brother, and he ain't got Vlad bread. I don't think he, his career. It just, there was a cut all on cork bad, Steve. He fucked up the investment, and then he got caught. Shame on you. But yeah, you, you pay a hefty fine, and uh, that's what he's known for mostly. He played in the league for about a good, you know, six, seven years, which is the average for you know, did run of the mill guys. Get back in the game, like did he get come back after that? He, and, like recover. He came from back. This? Okay. Yeah, he came back, but I, I mean, he's no more for this, you know. And, and it made it bad because he he hit a blooper. And he's like kind of hesitant to run because the bat broke, and so he's kind of like, <laughs> he's like collecting it, like no, 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 I don't want yeah. this to get, you know, I don't want all those shards. It's sharp. It's dangerous. And so the ump saw this. He was like, uh, something about that whole deal he did. Like, you know, that's looking at that. The cork. I knew it. I could smell it. Okay. Well, shame on you, dude. Shame on you. You got caught. Vlad had to fucking pick it up. I wonder if he had a cork in his bed, Steve. Like his big old brother. Like, no? Let's, let's not do Vlad like that. My Vlad, bad. he's a Hall My of bad. Famer. Yeah. And his baby boy is in the game. Uh, but in 1998, Scott Weiland's public problems with drugs continue when he is arrested in New York after buying heroin. Man. That guy just, I remember, this was a, this was the broken record of the 90s, Steve. Talk about a guy who just couldn't pick it up. Like, I knew more about this than the music. And the music is great, but this was what, like, led me. Like, who is this? Scott Weiland? Like, damn, he's doing all this shit and he's not dead? Like, he loves this shit. Who, who Sex Pistol? Or... Yeah, like, and it was like every six months to be like, Scott Weiland's recovering. They're about to do a new, uh, 
a tour and then a day later it's like Scott Wyland's hit found in a puddle of piss outside the Chateau Marmont in LA just dope the fuck out and I started listening to Stone Temple Pilots and it's like man this dude can sing yeah, maybe I should try heroin what was the other band that because remember they he did something right before he died that was like a new thing right yeah i think that might have been a super group with other members of other bands yeah. uh velvet revolver yeah. i believe it was that slash's project as well yeah slash was in it it had uh duff mckagan from guns and roses david dave kushner so yeah man um and i love slash uh scott like wyland this, dude this guy was real like you said super stp yeah. that was a 90s fucking band that everybody loved and this guy was like the quintessential rock star that you know other people like live long enough to maybe like just get out of this but he was just couldn't like he i guess heroin was that good to this dude that he just could never give it up so or crack or whatever the fuck man r.i.p to that man dude uh his music man is still here and as long as this podcast is around nobody will forget uh, but in 1999, various artists released the soundtrack to Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me. And it had a lot of all-stars. Madonna, The Who, R.E.M. I know that's a band you don't care for. Lenny Kravitz, uh, Green Day. Okay. You know, Quincy Jones even, man. Um, I, I don't recall the soundtrack being the banger-filled thing, but, I, I you know... I, People shit on this movie. I used to eat this shit up, Steve. This is the best one. It's the I'll one that is consumer, but this is the best one. I even like the other. I like the second one too. This is the second one. Okay, this was was this the one? Which is the one with Beyonce? That's the last one. That's gold member. That didn't happen in the nineties. Okay, my bad. This one is the best one, and yeah. Austin Powers as a whole, I'm into it. It was like the, it was another like this is coming at the end of the goofy comedies, the spoofings, and this was filled with fucking SNL, like Will Ferrell's, the all the side characters that were in this made the movie. This is the one that introduced us to Mini Me, Vern Troyer, man, R.I.P. We get a, a decade of Lorne Michaels impressions, like as Doctor Whatever Evil, like it's just Lorne Michaels, so. This was a huge thing, and uh, yeah, I'm a consumer. I love blockbusters and summer movies, so every summer that these came out, I was just eating this up. I love me some Michael Myers back in the day. Nothing wrong with him now. He's just been kind of silent lately. But also in 1999, True releases The Crime Family, and that is the, I guess you could say, super group of Master P, Silk the Shocker, and C Murder. And they form True, spelled T-R-U, and this is a double album the crime family was um over an hour as you could imagine but just like a lot of no limit albums it's features from everybody just about in the camp i mean i honestly steve true the a double no limit album of like a super group i didn't even know this existed i feel bad it's solid it's not five star but the fact that you're gonna get no limit artists like various artists and some of them like i really like even snoop has a, a cameo with charlie wilson uncle charlie so you know it, it you get that no limit sound that new orleans you get some uh um, mystical on it i'm assuming mystical shows up 
Was he there? Mystical oh. might have been locked up around this time because I don't believe he's on it, but Mr. Servon, Mia X, uh, Magic, Fiend. Yeah, well. I'm just going down the list, man. But uh, yeah, sorry. But uh, in 1999, also in, on that same day, Blink-182 released their third album, Enema of the State. And that is their breakout album. Uh, that's the one with What's My Age Again, All the Small Things, Adam's Song. And the whole album is 35 minutes and 17 seconds. Man. And this was kind of like an introduction of pop punk. You know, punk songs are all about two minutes. Yeah. just about two or three minutes and you know it's a mix of that it's got the punk element because the songs are short but there's melody so it was really hard to classify them as punk yeah i was like you know pop something but i always just kind of like these guys because they showed like some sort of sense of humor in their videos and stuff you know i never the music is whatever this was never i don't like punk music that much and this was only in my like view because it was so prolific like it was all over mtv a lot yeah. of our friends listened to this and it's not bad i just this wasn't like my cup of tea really but this album in particular somebody we knew we there was one person of separation between you and somebody that had this cd so like matt's palette for punk this is probably the most like the furthest you will go into that realm of punk. Some 41-ish, this, you know, there's no FX punk because I, all, but yeah, those were the people like, but I never, gra I didn't really even like explore that too much because it was never my, it's never my thing. It's always whiny to me. It's fast. I couldn't understand what it was. I sound like an old man, but, um, you know, I respect no, the I agree. of punk. I like, like, a people that are just like say fuck it and are you know anti-establishment i like that like thinking but i don't the music it is yeah. and like this album i enjoyed still man uh the fact that they had a porn star and they, they would have porn stars in their videos yeah um, yeah because the lady on, right here she's a porn star she's still actually not bad looking man but uh this represented like a, a critic said this it represented middle class teenage life especially at this time and we were teenagers when this was released, and this did reflect the Perrysburg everyday town USA living as a teenager going to everyday town USA high school. Hell yeah. Yeah, this is yeah, this is white people suburbia rock punk music, Steve. You're right. This is our Wonder Years music. And Tom, uh, and also, whatever his name is, the guy, the UFO guy, I just like, for whatever reason, I always thought he was cool. And now he's a psychopath or some sort of alien guy. So it's just weird how this has gone on. And also shout out Mark Hoppus, cancer survivor. So shout out to that. Wow. Dude. I didn't know that. But like you, you brought up something I thought was relevant, man. Travis Barker ended up being the breakout star of this band. It, and it's rare that the drummer like overlaps. You could say the band. I think more people, especially this generation, the newer generation, they probably know more about Travis Barker than a Blink-182. And at the time, we never would have thought that. Um, yeah, for sure. Especially the drummer. I think like Tommy Lee is the only person I could ever think of in our generation that like eclipsed it. But it was like because of some shit. It wasn't really because he was a good drummer. And I feel like at least for a while, Travis Barker was famous for being a good drummer. He had a lot of tragic shit happen to him too, but... 
Um, yeah. Yeah, dude, the dude was a badass. And he had a cool, like, I remember he had a CD come out where he, like, had a bunch of featured, like, rappers on it. And he was, like, drumming exactly. beats and stuff. And, like, yeah, dude's a legend. And now he's fucking a Kardashian and rich beyond belief. So I love that for him. And, I mean, just collaboration, man. Like, branching out into other genres because, like, he's done work with MCs, with rappers, man. So, yeah, shout out to Travis. Uh, and also in 1999, Dido, Dido, I always call her Eminem Lady. She releases her album, No Angel. And she's from the UK. And I know her from the song with Eminem. Tears come falling out my mind. And I said, 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 and that's my you know shit. what's weird is that when i saw this on the list i for i actually confused dido with that weird it was like norwegian girls that was like are two of them and it was like a weird almost like lesbian like singing group you and people had posters like this was a thing steve i'm not making this up and i know when I, we get off we'll figure it out but yeah because i'm thinking of Dido, because you're not that but you know, I like that Eminem song. That was a, it, it was a nice melancholy, like poetic song. I like that. And and that song that Stan came from was "Thank You," and that's actually on this album. For giving me the best days of my life. So yeah, shout out Dido. You're not two Norwegian lesbians. You're one person, and you hung out with Eminem. So. She, she's like a Caucasian Sade, I realized, because this album, it's it's like actually that. pretty That's good. That's a good sales pitch, Steve. You're good at like this market. You're good at this. You're good at like summing it up. I like that. Like, I, I wish I could do that with my podcast. Um, <laughs> also in 99, Jennifer Lopez released her debut album on the 6. And this introduced us to Jenny from the block. We only knew of her as the fly girl. In, in the back behind Marlon and Damon like girl you just do step routines now she's at the forefront and she's on the six Jenny from the block yeah she blew up I mean and it was wild too because this happened and then the acting thing happened it seemed like bing bang boom you know the acting thing happened and then the the dress I think that is mm. memorable man because I think didn't Trey Parker and Matt Stone do yeah. redo that yeah, she she definitely was going. Uh, she was trying to show it off, and she's she's gorgeous. And I do want to shout yeah. out something that I don't think people. I, this is just a movie that's gone by the wayside. There's a movie called The Cell that Jennifer Lopez. This is one of her first movies, yeah. and it is one of the most fucking weird, creepy, trippy movies. Uh, and it just I don't hear people talking about it, and it's why I actually respected J Lo's acting ability for a while because I like that movie so much. You had that in your collection, I remember. I mean, that was a pot. That was a movie you put on. And honestly, like, it was kind of like almost too intense. Like, I think we watched it tripping sometime. And it, it was meant for that, but it's like a lot. So, you know, be yeah. at your own risk when you do that shit. Yeah, move with caution. Uh, 99, a lot of albums came out, man. Ja Rule, he releases Vinny Vitty Beachy. And that's the album that had Holla, Holla, It's mm. Murder. That was the job. That was the job we all knew and that's, loved. That's the job I liked. He released two albums after that that were selling, but the, you were getting into the crooning jaw, like Barry White. Are you? How would I be about you? Yeah, when he was, you know. And also, I just want to point out that 
uh, 50 Cent made fun of him for doing that and then did that. And I just never understood that at the time. But that's neither here nor there. This jaw, this vintage of jaw, this year, the bouquet was, it was perfect, Steve. This is what you want. This, yeah, man, when we knew about him for the first time, he was a rapper. Yeah. He was doing cameos with Jay's, yeah, with Ruff. He was, he was cameoing with Rough Riders. He would do songs with DMX, with Jay-Z with the top dogs that we've already admired, man. And um, yeah, like Vinny Vitti Vici went like, I, I had to stop saying that he's trash because I remember this album. It's like, let's be fair to Ja, you deserve better. Early Ja was great. Like, remember that song he had on the Rush Hour soundtrack with uh, Jay-Z and shit? I mean, it was on one of their albums, but. Exactly. He was, that's... He, the dude was fire and he was like, he tried to act. He got tried to get into that game too, but Ja Rule for a while was setting the world on fire. So he didn't suck. He just veered off into some shit because, you know, he also had a Shanti. So probably just wanted to hang out with her for, you know, and, you know, I would have done it too. I'd start singing. Fuck it. Can't blame him. Can't blame him. Shout out to Ja. Uh, and also in 99, the peer to peer file sharing network, Napster, is launched, and the music world will never be the same. Gay gay. It was so awesome. When we were in the just that pipeline, Steve, when it was vintage this and LimeWire, when you could just, you could get anything. You could type in like, just a name or a, even porn titles, anything. You could get it, anything. Little comedy sketches, little radio, like Howard Stern episodes, anything. It was, oh, it was glorious. I loved it. The self-education that we went through to download these files. What, what is compression? Uncompressed? Well, shit. I know now. Yeah. How do I do this? I remember like being so, it was like a daunting thing, but with it, like this is one of the things where we all learned it immediately. Like, oh, how does that work? Oh, now I have 1 million songs in my hard drive. This is fantastic. And then the burning and then the CD burnings and then the little businesses that happened in high schools because people would burn fucking movies onto CDs and all that shit. I mean, we lived in a great time, Steve. Piracy. The two for fives. Just unlimited piracy. I love it. I got Soul Plane and Baby Boy for $10. Word? <laughs> yeah. Watch this home? All of it. Yes, please. Man. <sighs> WrestleMania 1 through 5? 99, dude. This the albums we get Napster too, so then we could steal all these great albums that were coming out. I mean, Jesus, thank you. Well, Sean Fanning, man, you are a martyr. Fuck what Lars Ulrich has to say. But any callbacks, honorable mentions, or switcheroos, good sir. Uh, just shout out to Dinosaurs because I want I love this show and I love the weirdness that we were getting in the 90s where people were like, you know what, we need Roseanne, but it's puppets and dinosaurs. Fuck it. Let's let's try this out. And it works so well. So let's let that be a lesson to people out there creating shows. Maybe someday we'll do it. Stop making remakes and make something weird because maybe it'll work out like this because this was a thing, Steve. Not and the speaking of suck a dick. Like, we, we don't have that anymore, man. Like, that was seen on T-shirts. They would have that on buttons. Not the mama with the little baby's logo. I mean, shit, eat my shorts. People were like, they, we were getting catchphrases where it was like a whole fucking, it was like, create a wave. So 
there's just none of that and it's cool to watch these even the critic dude it's like a cartoon why make this i don't know it's just fucking it's funny and weird it's a way to spoof hollywood in a weird way so i love it how about you uh, in 1996, I overlooked that uh, when Woody the bartender was getting arrested for hemp seeds, Tom Holland was born, the English actor in 1996, man. Uh, happy birthday to Spider-Man. Tom Holland, dude. The perfect Spider-Man. Sorry, Toby. I like your movies more, but Tom Holland, I got to give it to him. I've liked everything that that kid's done in Marvel movies, so shout out. It took me a while to, to let go of Toby. It took me a while, man. We're still, you're probably going to get more, Steve. Who knows? But Toby, I love you. But Tom, you're killing it. Keep it up. Yeah, shout out to the Get Pussy crew. And uh, June 1st, 1998, uh, Night or Raw is airing. And Vince, it's funny to me that he's still doing the narration of Raw. Like, he'll start out like, oh, the last episode. And then he even, like, talks about himself in the third person. Like, because this is the time when him and Austin are starting their feud. And he's like, yeah, he did this to Vince, to Mr. McMahon. And like, dude, this is true. You're talking, like, you're, the ego, the Vince Mr. Burns. liking this. Like, what the I mean, fuck, dude? And it, it's only funny in hindsight because, like, what we know now. But, like, he was still doing this in 98. And uh, Val Venus has a match. And I found this funny, man. He remember when he would like be on the microphone before his match, like the bell would ring or no, before the bell would ring, he would say some shit. He, this time he says, Hey, I'm not happy to see you. That is a gun in my pocket. And this gun shoots no blanks. Ooh. And then like right after that, he just goes into laying into the opponent. Like, it, you gotta see it, bro. June first, ninety-eight raw. Just for that match alone, man. Uh, and all, also in the end, Stone Cold is doing commentary and he's sitting next to Vince. And I just found it funny when he said, "You ain't worthy of kissing my ass." I love it, dude. You got to say that to his boss, dude. I love that. Uh, oh, in Nitro that same night, Goldberg faces Laparka and he hits ninety-four and zero. This is uh, when we're doing our, our count count to 100. LaParka probably did a weird jittery dance that I used to love. I love me some LaParka. <laughs> Coming out with the with the chair. Fucking yeah. love LaParka, man. Oh, yeah. And uh, Goldberg is somebody we really have not talked about a lot yet, but that's probably going to change here in the coming days. Yeah, we'll get to it. I mean, Bill's, he's going to get his due. He's a legend. Yeah, please like, share, subscribe, and comment. Please tell your favorite stepmother to holla, holla. Listen to Crushgasm every Wednesday and B3F Podcast with Joey and Steve with Amanda and Wade. This is Steve G and Mad G and Happened in the 90s. Jeez. Hello, ladies.